Welcome to the 38th episode of our podcast series for advisors considering the independent space. Today's episode is a model of supported independence that fills the fear gap, a conversation with Rob Bartenstein, CEO of Kestra Private Wealth Services. I'm Mindy Diamond, and this is Mindy Diamond on Independence. This podcast is available on our website, diamond-consultants.com, and on wealthmanagement.com, as well as iTunes and other resources. There's a growing breed of breakaways, brokerage firm managers who chose to leave behind the world they grew up in, taking the best of their experiences at the top of the food chain and building their own independent firms. My guest in this episode is one of this growing class of independent firm leaders. Rob Bartenstein, a U.S. Army veteran, began his career in financial services with DLJ, its successor Credit Suisse, and later Merrill Lynch. In 2008, he joined Morgan Stanley in an executive role to lead business development on the West Coast. Three years later, Rob and former UBS director Scott Wilson felt the tug of independence and established Washington Wealth Management, which was rebranded as Kestra PWS in 2016. Kestra Private Wealth Services, or Kestra PWS as it's known, is a hybrid RIA firm designed to provide a path for wirehouse advisors looking to achieve independence and growth. It's a turnkey model based on the Kestra Financial Platform, which has become a popular landing spot for breakaways. And it's no surprise. There are plenty of advisors who want to go independent, but don't want to go through the hassle of building their own firm. Kestra PWS is the perfect example of a firm born to support this growing need for full-service paths to independence. Rob is a smart and super interesting guy, so I'm happy to have him share more about Kestra PWS as well as his own experiences and his thoughts on the momentum toward independence. Let's get to it. Rob, I'm really excited to have you here with me today. It's great to be here with you, Mindy. Thank you. You bet. Let's jump in. So you're part of a fast-growing trend of wirehouse managers and senior leaders breaking away and joining the independent movement. I'd love to know a couple things. What was it about independence that motivated you to take the leap of faith, and what changes had you seen in the wirehouse world that contributed to your move to independence? Well, that really is the, that's the beginning of everything, isn't it? I, I think that the initial attraction of independence was really just the purity of it. The notion of control and the absence of conflict or the certainly the reduction of conflict and just the purity of being able to express yourself and your brand in an authentic way. For me, it's really clear the wirehouses did change. I left production in 2008 after a stint as a producing manager and went into management full time. And between 08 and 2010, I really felt like the wirehouses kind of lost their way. And so the idea of being, for lack of a better way of putting it, the puppet being asked to do things by the puppet masters, I think my partners and I decided that there had to be a better way and and we wanted to pursue that. So let's talk a little bit about Kestra PWS, Kestra Private Wealth Services. Tell us if you would about the model and how it fits within the Kestra overall financial ecosystem. So Kestra Financial, if you really break it down into simple terms, 
it's really two RIA sleeves that own a broker dealer. So there is a traditional independent RIA that is similar in its model to say LPL or Cambridge or Commonwealth. And on the other side of the house is the private wealth services RIA. And together those two RIAs share the broker dealer for the amount of business that we do that is still um, series seven focused or, or brokerage focused, which is really the vast minority of our business today. And how many advisors are part of Kestra PWS today? And how much does the firm have in assets under management? So we're right at about 50 advisors across the whole country and almost 20 offices. And our assets are right between three and $4 billion. Okay. And how about the firm's growth trajectory? Because one of the questions that I think every advisor asks when looking at what is becoming a more and more crowded and competitive landscape is how do I differentiate all the different options? And one of the concerns about a newer firm or a newer model with three or four billion under management is how do I gain comfort around its stability and its tenure? Yeah, that's a really good point. And I'll tell you what, since our combination with Kestra, that question's gotten a lot easier to answer. But I have to tip my hat to the few teams that came with us when we were just a few partners with a single financial backer trying to bootstrap our way into being a real business. And and those folks really had faith in us in the early days. Today, Kestra is an $850 million top line business with about $70 billion of EBITDA across the platform, 2,200 advisors around the country. So from a capital standpoint, we're no longer in a situation where people have to worry about stability and and longevity. Our business, the private wealth services business, has always been a very deliberate, slow growth business. And the reason for that in the early days was because given the capital intensity of the business and given the fact that we just had a single investor behind us funding us, we had to be very careful and very slow about making additions to the platform. Since we've done our deal with Kestra, the floodgates have really opened up and we've been able to take on more business in an ever-increasing way. In fact, as the trend has increased in speed and size, our business has ramped sort of commensurate with that. And last year, we brought on 14 new advisors, which took our census with advisors and staff, I should say, took our census over the 80 mark, and we opened five new offices across the country. My staff are probably really hoping that we won't quite replicate that this year because that's a pretty big lift for us given all the work we do on infrastructure. But I would say that this year we'll open three to four offices and probably bring on another 10 to 15 advisors. We have two offices either in progress or scheduled already, and we'll probably have two more in the back half of the year. You know, that's exciting growth. And, you know, it's easy to be skeptical about that kind of growth. But the truth of the matter is, given how disenfranchised so many employee-based or wirehouse advisors are, it's not hard to imagine a quality firm that has a really solid value proposition and that enables independence being that successful. So that's actually a good pivot point. What is the pitch to a typical advisor? What does it sound like? And who is the typical advisor in your pipeline? Yeah, the typical advisor on an arithmetic basis is an individual at one of the major firms doing in the neighborhood of 650 to 
but that's the math equation. The real world example are usually a combination of two or three advisors in a team format with those sorts of numbers. So our very standard team from a kind of average basis is going to be in that one five to two five million dollar range. There'll be two or three advisors with one or two staff members. And the pitch to them really is, look, you're not dealing with recruiters. My partner and I, Scott Wilson, we are the guys that run the business. We're the CEO and COO, respectively. We're building a Ferrari and we're building a full service infrastructure experience. We can't throw the keys of the Ferrari to everybody. We sit down with every team that has interest in us. We meet with them. They meet with us. We do our respective due diligence on one another. And we decide whether there's a meeting of the mind. And the reality is, is that we're not the perfect decision for everyone. And the only way we know whether we're the right fit for someone is, is whether they believe it and, uh, and whether we agree. And so it is sort of hard to believe, but we're not in the business of trying to compete with Morgan Stanley or Merrill Lynch. And we came from those worlds. We were both successful advisors and then had successful careers in management as well. We're not trying to replicate that. We don't need to. And we're having a lot of fun doing it the way we're doing it. Yeah. And we'll come back in a few minutes to who your competitors are and sort of where in the landscape you fit. But how do the economics work? How is the package structured for a recruit? So similar to the, our attempt to replicate the infrastructure experience of the wirehouse, as well as the middle and back office support, our economics are going to sound or feel familiar to advisors as well. So on a transition basis, we are typically offering someone a five to nine year forgivable note that is equal to 50 to 90% of their trailing 12 production. So that's designed to make sure that you know your cash flow is stable and you don't have to apologize to your spouse for any disruption of income during the transition or anything of that nature. Furthermore, our grid is designed to be extremely simple. One of the things that we hated was the multi-page grid discussion every year and then the fact that it changed every year. So we're pretty much on a one-page grid. It's based on the advisory business. Your payout's going to be 70 to 80% up to 2 million. Over 2 million, we're working on a higher grid than that. And then on the brokerage, it's about 63 to 68. But again, or actually it goes into the 70s, but brokerage is such a, a relatively insignificant part of our business that's not usually material. So those are the basic economics and I'm happy to drill into any of that that you'd like to. That's a great overview. And could you tell us, pick one of your typical teams, what's the background? What was it about Kestra PWS that really brought them to the table and made them say, this is the firm I want to associate with? Yeah, well, everyone is coming from that wirehouse background. So I think if your listeners just imagine the typical kind of corner office, a million plus team, whatever that looks like, you know, where they work. Those are our teams and their books of business look very familiar to anybody that's grown up in our business. I think what attracts people to PWS is the relative intimacy of the relationship, meaning, you know, like I said before, we're not recruiters. We're the guys that run the business. So we support the business from the beginning. Once the LOI is signed, we're out building the, the space on behalf of the advisor and that relationship continues past the break date and into, you know, we've got teams that have been with us for seven years now. And they'll tell you, like, I wondered about whether or not you'd be able to carry the value proposition past the transition point. And in fact, it's just getting better over time. So 
we are intimately involved with our teams on a partnering basis on a daily basis. So it's as simple as, you know, the copier has stopped working. You call us and we take care of it. And we have somebody in your office that day to fix it all the way up to, I'm considering doing a strategic marketing campaign, but I've never done one with Google or Facebook or YouTube. And I need some advice. Can you guys work with me and and help me put this stuff together? So we run the gamut, but I think what's attractive is just that. It's, there's no us and them. It's us. And the real difference is, is that we work for the advisor. They don't work for us. Yeah. It's such a sign of the times that just the model itself and many others like it, where advisors want to be independent. They want to break away from the traditional space. They want to be business owners, but they don't want to have to deal, many of them, with the putting toner in the copy machine or figuring out how to do social media or whatever else it is. And this tremendous ecosystem that has been born to support this new generation of breakaways has made it really possible to do so. Um, Let's step back a bit. I want to hear what the backstory is, because one thing I know for sure is that most of the new models, these newer quasi-independent and independent platform firms that have been born to support breakaway advisors were all born because the leaders saw a gap, wanted to fill a gap fill something that wasn't being done by somebody else. So tell us first a little bit about your partner, Scott Wilson. How did you two meet? Yeah. So Scott is, um, he's the yin to the yang. So he is the greatest platform and operations guy in the business, hands down. And we actually met when I moved to Southern California to my first real job in management um, in 2008. I was running sales for the region out there and Scott was running the largest complex in Southern California. So that's where we met. And in that tumultuous time, 08, 09, 10, we obviously spent a lot of time together and we realized that we saw the world very similarly. And so the relationship was sort of born there. And what was the genesis of it all? What is the Kestra PWS model? Did you sit over a beer and say, hey, this sounds good? Or did somebody approach you? How did it all begin? It's a combination of things, but back to your point of the, what's the gap? What we did was we sat down and we just sort of put our advisor hats on and said, okay, if we were sitting at our desks at Merrill today and wanted to be independent, what would that feel like? And what would we be worried about? And what we identified, we called it a gap, just like you did. We, we called it the fear gap. And so you're sitting in your desk, you're looking across this chasm of everything you don't know how to do realizing that you know 25 years of a great career at Merrill, but there's a lot I don't know about running a business. So what could we take from our management experience and morph into the service business that would support someone in that situation? And I'll tell you, the elements of that basic concept have actually just stayed the foundations of the business ever after. So it's it's really fundamental, but and, and there are a lot of nuances to this, but the big pieces are things like we take down the space. So we don't expect someone to want to go out and sign a commercial lease and handle the deposits and deal with the landlord and the five-year commitments and all the things that go with that if they've never done that before. So we do all of that and we pay the rent into perpetuity. So from an infrastructure standpoint, the real estate is on us. It's yours, but it's on us. You can be a co-signatory if you'd like, but we're happy to run point on all of that. But right behind that is technology. Most folks have no idea what to buy, how to integrate it, how to keep it working and service it. And if you hire somebody to do that, 
as a third party, that can be a very expensive proposition. And again, there's just a lot of monetary risk and sunk cost in that. So we decided that we would take care of all of that. So we supply, service, replace, and repair all the technology in an advisor's office from the telephony and laptops and desktops all the way through the copiers and printers and all that stuff. And then the other two big pieces are just all the furniture, the paper clips and paper cups, all the little things, the glue that holds everything together. So from the reception desk to the break room and the conference room and everything in between. And then the biggest piece at the end is the compliance. And so if a regulator is going to show up at your business, who on your team do you want to be the chief compliance officer? And usually the answer is nobody. So for us to be able to supply all the normal algorithms and monitor all the trading activity the way we need to maintain regulatory compliance, but also to supply somebody on site in the event of an audit and just to keep people compliant to protect them and their businesses long-term so they can grow the value, we take care of all of that. So those are the real big pieces that make owning your business with us very easy versus having to be an expert in all those subject matter areas. Got it. The independent landscape continues to expand daily, or at least it feels that way. And it's become a more and more crowded and competitive space. So how should an advisor think about Kestra PWS versus model like, say, Steward Partners or Dynasty Financial Partners, just popular names, firms that are popular with independent-minded advisors? Yeah, that's a good one. It's a spectrum. And as I alluded to before, there is no sort of binary answer. There is no one firm everyone should try to be with. It really depends on the situation and really how you want to spend your time as an advisor and a business owner. So I think what I would do to answer your question, I would put steward partners on one side of the spectrum and I would put dynasty on the other. And I'll explain why I think that. And then I would put us in the middle. So dynasty and Cheryl's you know, the one who explained it to me this way, and I think it's a great analogy, they like to say, we sell the picks and the shovels so that you can go follow the gold rush. And that means under the dynasty model, you're creating your own RIA and that's complete control. That's total ownership, complete control, equity, decision-making, the whole nine yards. And dynasty's there to consult with you to make sure you plug the right connections together to make it all work. On the And the payout's higher as a result of that. On the left side, where Stewart is, they're a W-2 model. So you're an employee of an organization that is certainly better than being in a wirehouse. It's a captive model, but it's definitely the, the kinder, gentler captive model. But you carry their business card, it's their brand, et cetera. And their payouts are lower. And it's also a fully supported environment the way you would expect a W-2 environment to be. So that leaves us kind of in the middle and we're a little bit of both. So with us, you're joining an existing RIA, you're a business owner, you're not a W-2 employee, you're a 1099 taxpayer with all the attendant tax advantages of being a business owner. You carry your own card, it's your brand, and it's your equity in your business. We do control the compliance to make, make sure that everything is regulatorily where it needs to be, but that's something that the advisors that affiliate with us want and because they don't want to be the subject matter expert on that. So I say that because there's some limitations on you know, what you can do versus, say, Dynasty, where you're making the decision. As long as you can rationalize the decision to a regulator, it's fine. With us, we have a very specific process we need to follow with regard to, let's say, alternative investments. So they have to meet certain criteria because our process for reviewing and approving them needs to be 
repeatable and demonstrable and we get audited every year. So you give up a little bit of freedom as you move towards the middle of the spectrum, but in exchange for that, you get a ton of support in a full service environment and it doesn't negatively impact most people's businesses, but you have to be realistic about what it is. So I would put us in the middle. I think with us, you're going to get a very easy path to business ownership. We're not taking any equity interest in your business. It's yours in totality. And um, that puts us kind of right smack in the middle. Yeah, it's really helpful. And I imagine will be really helpful to a lot of our listeners as well. Um, We read recently that Warburg Pincus acquired a major stake in Kestra Financial and took out the previous private equity owner, Stone Point Capital. So why Warburg Pincus and what do you think they bring to the table? Yeah, great question. So, well, Warburg has $72 billion deployed in financial services. So they're the big gun. This is our third deal of this nature. So we've uh, we've had uh, deals like this with Madison Dearborn, obviously with Stone Point, as you mentioned, and now Warburg Pincus. And of all the firms that we talked to, Warburg was actually my favorite. So I'm really relieved that uh, the way things shook out um, through the process that they ended up being the right fit for us and, and we for them. I think what they bring to the table is a ton of expertise and a real engine in the background that we can lean against when, when we're doing various projects, which we will continue to do to grow Kestra Financial. But most importantly, they provide us the kind of ready capital that it takes to consistently build out the platform on behalf of our advisors. If we're not spending the kind of money that it takes to continually improve on technology, for instance, which is probably the biggest piece of anyone's business these days, it's the largest employee group we have at Kestra and, and probably our biggest expenditure. So if we're not doing that, then it's pretty rapid decline in terms of where you fit in the competitive landscape, because if we're not equipping our advisors to do their best work for their clients, we're not as attractive. And so we're really focused on that. And those types of investments from firms like Warburg allow us to continue to make those sorts of investments back into our business in a business that is characteristically a very narrow margin business. And so what is the difference in your mind between a firm that is backed by private equity and a firm that is backed by its own capital or some other source of capital? Well, there's so many ways to answer that question. So let me try it this way. It depends. I have been affirmed back I have been a firm backed by its own capital. And that was, you know, relatively unpleasant situation at certain junctures because if you don't have sufficient capital to continue to build and grow and reinvest, things can get a little dicey. And this is a narrow margin business, as you know. We're giving most of the revenue back to the advisor, but you still want to do the best you can to create the kind of platform that is world class. And from our perspective, coming from the wirehouse, we have very specific ideas about what it means to be world class and what it takes, which may differ from what other people in the independent space believe, but I think is the reason that we tend to have superior results on that front. So as long as the capital is sufficient, if you're backed by your own capital, look, the bonus is you're retaining full ownership. And so downstream, all of the value inures to you. In our world, the numbers are getting very big. I mean, when you're doing upwards of a billion dollars of top line, it takes a lot of capital to keep that business moving forward and growing and staying on the cutting edge. And so in exchange for that, you give up some ownership so that you can have a partner like Warburg with their expertise and their capital structure you know, to be a partner to you. 
all of these things have worked out really well for us. Each iteration of private equity has been great for Kestra because it's allowed us to take a giant leap forward. And my advisors, our advisors, <laughs> my partners, we're all participants in that. We're all equity holders. So we are really satisfied and happy with the way private equity has helped us to, to grow the business. Yeah. You and I agree on the incredible momentum of movement toward independence. What do you foresee in the future, let's say five or 10 years out, in terms of the kind of movement and where the puck is heading five or 10 years out? I love thinking about stuff like this. I look five to 10 years out and I say with the dawn of increasingly good technology to do data, yeah, well, data aggregation, but also account aggregation, I see the business beginning to move pretty solidly in the direction of assets under advisement and away from assets under management. I think assets under management will always be a significant part of the of the equation, but as advisors are increasingly able as they are on our platform to see all of their clients' assets held away and to advise on those under a contract basis, I see the business moving in that direction and and I look at it like if I could charge 40 basis points, let's say, on all the assets I don't have versus 1% on all the assets I do have, I think I know where the larger path to growth exists. And so as technology continues to evolve to support that kind of business, I think we'll see advisors acting much more in a quarterback role with assets held away for a variety of reasons, whether they're supporting lines of credit or just loyalty to another firm or what have you, and still being able to give their clients a complete financial planning picture and advice that's holistic. And do you see the role of Kestra PWS changing over time? I think it will. It sort of has always been evolving. I mean, it's changed a lot since we first started. One of the things that people were pretty confident would happen to us is that we would be in quotes, a halfway house. Like we'd get people out and they'd stick around for a little while and then they'd want to go quote unquote, full independent. That hasn't happened at all. And so that hasn't come to pass because we keep driving the value proposition to increase what we're giving our advisors on an across the board basis. But we will probably evolve into other business areas as well. I mean, I think that there's a role for um, certain types of life insurance, business, captive agents and things of that nature somewhere down the road under the Kestra model of full service support. And I think there are other elements of related to portfolio management and, and uh, financial planning that we're going to bring to bear, which we're already working on. But you know, as that becomes really the core focus of our business, it's our goal to make the PWS platform easy to use, but also to have that very high-end boutique niche specialization in portfolio management by advisors and financial planning. So we want to equip our folks with all the tools that we can to make them you know, really lethal on that side of the business. You know, one of the questions I was going to ask you was, what do you see as the biggest competition or the greatest competition for Kestra PWS? And I think you just answered it. The concern that advisors who join will see it more as a halfway house and eventually choose to go fully independent. And you answered it as well by saying, as long as we continue to drive value, our advisors will continue to stay put. And that's a tall order in a crowded marketplace, but sounds like you're doing it and doing it well. It's one of those things that when we put the business together, we position the advisor to be the client in the same way that they have clients. And that means that our contractual connection is very limited. It only relates to the money. They can leave anytime they want. And so we have to get up every day and earn the business. And we like it that way because that's the driver 
that keeps us on our toes. And it, it's sort of a, a mutual agreement between the two sides that we'll continue to bring everything we can to bear every day that will never stop evolving and that there are, our commitment to them is unending. And I think that they know that that's real. And if you talk to our folks, they'll tell you that over the long haul, it, they've been impressed with the way that's borne out. Yeah. Well, kudos to you. I want to shift gears for a minute, Rob. We had a discussion about the role of equity and how it's become a driving force behind the attraction to the independent space. The notion of building long-term value for an advisor to build long-term value and a legacy has eclipsed the lore of the windfall of a big recruiting package. So with that in mind, can you talk a little bit about that change in advisor mindset and what you think is behind it? And actually what I'm getting at is what's the real value of equity to advisors? Yeah, I think if we don't talk about that, we've missed the most important thing, right? So we've all grown up in a cash flow business and a cash flow mindset. What I mean by that is partnerships in the wirehouse are based on a handshake or a very simple one-page, two-page agreement that the guy in the corner office or the woman in the corner office oversees from a managerial standpoint. And it's really, it's a sharing of revenue. And that's all it is because you don't own the business. You own the revenue flow to the extent that you own it at all. The independent space is about equity. And I tell advisors all the time, look in your book of business and just look at the clients you have that have built real wealth. And virtually all of them are business owners in one form or another. And that's how they've done it. So we should be in the same business. The real value of equity to advisors, in my mind, it first of all, it begins with equity in your own business. You can have equity in Kester Private Wealth Services as an advisor if you choose to buy into it. And a lot of our advisors did on the last round and they did very well. But that's the icing on the cake. To me, the value is in the equity that's in your business. Meaning if you leave, if you join PWS and you love us, and you build equity in your business, and you eventually hate us, and you want to leave, you don't lose the equity in your business. It's still there. It goes with you wherever you go. If you join XYZ captive model, and they give you equity in their business, and you leave, you lose the equity. The real value of the equity, if you're a $5 million business, let's just say for the sake of argument that that $5 million business is throwing off $2 million of EBITDA. Well, businesses are being valued anywhere from six to 12 times EBITDA. So at eight times, your real value is $16 million. Now, there are a lot of considerations and, and things that need to, factors that need to be addressed to really get at a pure valuation in a real scenario. But if you grow that EBITDA over time, and we, we always talk about 10-year time horizons, it's not hard to imagine that in 10 years, you find yourself in a position where you're looking at a $40 million valuation based on that same 8x multiple of EBITDA. So I think that the crown jewel of independence is equity ownership of your book of business in your own brand, being fully independent and being a 1099 business owner. And the reason for that is, is because that business is fungible. It's saleable. You can create waterfalls of equity to next generations. You can bring in junior partners. You can bring children into your business a whole host of things that you can't do in the wirehouse environment. But when you really want to get down to the nuts and bolts of what equity is worth, these days, equity is worth a multiple of EBITDA. Now that calculation has morphed from a multiple of revenue to a multiple of EBITDA. And as investment bankers get increasingly involved in our business, it will morph again. But for today, it's a multiple of EBITDA. It's six to 12 times. And that's something that advisors can rely on. 
So when you do a pro forma, when Kestra PWS prepares a pro forma for an advisor prospect, how do you account for equity in terms of what does it show? Yeah. So that's really Scott's department and he's a whiz on this front and he's invented the pro forma process at PWS. And I think it's the best in the business. It's the best I've ever seen. And really it's a 10 year time horizon that takes all the costs of an advisor's business today at whatever firm they're doing business and lays that side by side with the same business on our model. And then we take it out 10 years and we can assume any growth rate the advisor wants, but typically we, we default to 5%. We can make it zero. We can make it 10. It doesn't matter. But what we show is the growth of the business over time, the growth of the cash flow. but we net it all out because to your earlier appointment, the number of businesses like ours is increasing and each one of them does it differently. And they all do a good job on some level. Some are better at this and some are better at that, just like we are. And so, like I say, there's, there's no one right answer. But the only way we figure we can get the economics to all kind of add up to apples to apples versus apples to oranges is to net it all out. We're trying to help advisors understand what their pure net number is after every expense, including healthcare, and what that looks like over a 10-year horizon. So it's pretty detailed. It doesn't take a lot of work on their side to get us the information that we need to draw that up. But we find that people are, it helps people with that chasm that we talked about before when they can see it in dollars and cents. And that's, you know, the economics are just one part of the conversation, but as it relates to the pro forma, that's really what it's designed to show. Yeah. Thank you. No, that was really helpful. Let me ask you one last question. I always like to wrap up by asking our guests, what key suggestions would you be able to share with captive wirehouse advisors who are considering their next chapter in their lives, deciding whether they want to go independent, deciding which version of independence, deciding what to do next. What would you say to them? Yeah. Wow. I'm talking to all of them, right? So I would start with just saying, you know, do it. Don't let inertia and or, and I'm talking to myself here too, don't let inertia or laziness keep you from exploring the possibilities whether it's with us or with anyone else, owe it to yourself and to your family and to your clients to look at this option. Having said that, you have to be prepared to do your due diligence. You can't be lazy on the due diligence side. You've got to dig in a little bit. And one of the things that we learned as we moved into this space, coming from the wirehouse, you're used to a different, when you ask a question in a wirehouse environment, there's sort of a a way that question is going to be answered. And it's usually pretty thorough. In the independent space, the boundaries are not as clear. And so very often you get what Scott and I refer to as the half answer. You have to be prepared to hear answers that are things that you want to hear. And you've got to be prepared to ask that one extra or two extra questions that may feel a little uncomfortable, but force you to get the full answer. So my advice would be never settle for the half answer, get the full answer. It's a little painful sometimes, but you owe it to yourself to dig in because you really don't know what you don't know. And I think that we all thought we understood the business a lot more than we did in the wirehouse world because it's so cleanly aggregated, which you're paying a really expensive premium for to participate in. Um, And once you come out to the independent space and you disaggregate some of the components that you really are glad you're no longer paying for, you just have to do a little more exploratory work to make sure you understand what you're doing. But having said that, There are a lot of models like ours, I think, these days that are making independence and business ownership really easy for advisors. And there's so much better technology and support and things that you can't access when you're trapped in the wirehouse that you get taken advantage of here. It really, clients love it. 
the asset transfer rate is very high and um, it's a it's a great opportunity. Rob, thank you a million. This was really wonderful. And I think the episode will resonate with a whole lot of folks. It's been a pleasure. Kestra PWS model was born of a genuine need. Rob Bartenstein and partner Scott Wilson said, if we were still advisors at Merrill Lynch and wanted to go independent, what would we be scared of? And they set about to build a model to bridge the fear gap and make it less of a leap and more of a step to independence. In our next episode, Lewis Diamond and I are going to create some order amongst what can be a dizzying array of options in the independent space. We'll be answering some of the top questions we get from advisors, including what is a service provider? What's a platform firm? Where does Rockefeller fit into the mix? And much more. So I hope you'll join us as we break it all down to the top seven turnkey models that are rocking the independent landscape. Until then, I encourage you to visit our website, diamond-consultants.com, and click on the tools and resources link for valuable content. And if you're not a recipient of our weekly email, Perspectives for Advisors, click on the blog link to browse recent articles. Feel free to email or call me if you have specific questions. I can be reached at 908-879-1002 or email mdiamond at diamond-consultants.com. Please know that all requests are handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. Thank you for listening. I also want to thank wealthmanagement.com for sharing this podcast with their viewers and subscribers. This is Mindy Diamond on Independence. Independence.